So, um, have you, has anybody lost sleep in the last month, lost sleep thinking about something you actually couldn't control? Oh, yeah, right? Everybody, yeah, right, okay. Everybody's like, yeah, what a dumb question. Okay, good. Uh, that's the world we live in, right? Well, I want to suggest to you that maybe the reason that happened is that there is a myth or a lie that you have believed, a lie from kind of popular culture and a, a lie from the world in which you live that you have bought into on some level. And today, I'm hoping to help you have less sleepless nights, okay? Because it is based on a fallacy. It's based on a myth. It's based on a misunderstanding of how we're supposed to live. So I want to start with a passage from Luke 12. It's very famous, uh, obviously uh, often read parable uh, that Jesus tells. And it's found in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. If you have a Bible, you have an app, look at screens, read along. Uh, and he told him this parable. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Uh, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger, bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, when we hear this passage, and we generally talk about it in terms of greed, but I want you to notice something interesting. In the passage just previous to this, Jesus is um, being asked by someone, hey, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus launches into, indeed, uh, a talk about greed. This parable is a part of that. But I also want you to notice something else. After this parable, the talk is not about greed, it is about worry. It is about worry, and it says, don't worry, God's going to take care of you. And at the end of which, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I want to suggest to you, this parable is about greed, but it also is about something else, and it's about worry. And so in this series, Let Go, I want you to think about the possibility of let go control. Let go control. Because a part of what causes worry and what it causes uh, anxiety is that we're trying to control things that we can't possibly control. And on some level, we believe we can. But it's silly because control is an illusion. That's a part of this parable. He thought he was in control. He had all the wealth he needed. He was just going to ride it out and enjoy it. And yet he couldn't control the day of his death. He, he was going to die, and he couldn't control it. At the end of the day, we're not really in control of much. We try to control everything. But we're not really in control of much. And I want us to think about this because we spend so much time trying to control things we can't control. We even on occasion try to control God. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, why don't we stop trying to control and do something else? What is the thing that would be more effective? The critical issue in the Christian life Life around us, the culture around us tells us we got to control, got to get money so we can control, got enough power so we can control, got to climb the, climb the corporate ladder so we can control. But the Christian life is not about control, it's about something else. Uh, a guy named uh, Jethani, uh, Sky Jethani wrote, and, and it's something that people have written about a lot, but he wrote that the point of our Christian life is to be with Jesus. We think the point is to try to keep things under control. But the point is to be with Jesus. And I want to suggest to you the antidote to trying to control, worry, and be anxious is to be with Jesus. What does that mean? 
So uh, when uh, in college, when Connie and I were dating, um, uh, between my junior and senior year, I went to do an internship 13 hours away from where she went to be home and uh, to do her, her, her uh, summer job. And, and I realized during that summer that I uh, did not want to do that again. I did not want to be alone. I wanted to be with her. I realized that I wanted to be with her. Now, if you'll pardon this, I know it's early morning, but we're adults here, and I don't even know if this vernacular is still in vogue, but I wasn't just trying to get with her. Yeah, that's what I meant. Now, realize we were both Christian, and waiting till marriage was a part of the deal, and so I wasn't opposed to that part of it, you understand, but that wasn't the primary thing. The thing I wanted to do was be with her. I wasn't trying to get something from her, And in all of these years that we have been married, I'm so glad I got to be with her, not because of what I got from her, even though everything I got from her, with the exception of one of our children, has been incredible. (laughs) You're welcome. That butter bar shot? (laughs) So um, even though there's lots of things I got, I have gotten over the years, the wonderful thing is that I have gotten to be with her be with her. You see, we're trying to get things from God. If God would just, if he would just fix this or fix that or fix the other thing, um, or if he would just give me the ticket out of you know where and into you know where. And we, the whole thing is about our predetermined agenda that we're trying to get God to go along with so that we're still in control. But the crazy thing about the Christian life is you got to give up control and go with his agenda and his goal for your life. And just enjoy being with him. You've got to treasure him. I love hanging out with Connie. We love being together. It's not that she cooks or she does this. It's that we're together. I treasure. She is the prize. Not the stuff that comes along with it. She is the prize. In our relationship with God, he is the prize. The point of Christianity is not to get. It is to be with. And when we're being with Almighty God himself, who came to earth because he loves us, when we are, then there is nothing else that need kind of jump in there and mess things up. So I'm going to give you three things, all right? So the first one is to highly value Christ, highly value Christ. And, and if we can, so yeah, I, I value, you know, I believe this religion thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, so here's the deal. When I finally asked Connie uh, to marry me, it was both implied and then stated that I would give up all other women. It was, it was verbalized and at the threat of violence uh, <laughs> by her and her brother. But anyway, um, and so I, if you really, something is of value to you, there is something else you will exclude or leave out. That's why the Bible says uh, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, right? When you value something so greatly, you need to leave some other things behind, right? So in Scripture, uh, there's some wonderful passages. Let me, just, let me just point out one of them to you, and it's found in Matthew um, 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like, tre- like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. Now, by the way, there's a powerful word in here. So the picture is found, this treasure goes and sell everything. But it doesn't say just goes to sell everything. He, with joy, sold everything because what he found was so incredible. I didn't get married and say, okay, I'll give up on the other women if I have to. 
No, I was happy. She was the prize. That's what I wanted. I'll give up what you need me to give up. I'm happy to do this. The picture in this is that we come to God, and, and if we come to God thinking, I got to get something from God, what do I need to do to please God? What do I need to get into heaven? What do I got to do to escape hell? What do I got It's a duty thing. It says with joy he sold everything else. You see, the relationship with God is not just a slight bit better than trying to control things. It's not just a slight bit better than doing life on your own terms. It is hugely better. It is massively better. It is joy that we give up whatever we need to give up, whatever other priorities we might give up, because this relationship is so much greater. It goes on in that passage and says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So this, this thing, when I, when I uh, asked Connie to marry me, it wasn't like, uh, Connie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my life. I've got it planned out. I'm doing this. And if you want to tag along, you're welcome. What would she have said? Well, probably can't say it out loud. But anyway, she would have said no. What I said was, let's do life together. Let's do it together. Jesus invites people to come and do life with him, not to make him an addendum or just to be there when they get in trouble. It is to do life together. And yet, we all have things that are vying for that attention. Listen to what it says in in Luke chapter 9. It says this. He says to man, follow me. And the guy replies, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus replies rather harshly, I think. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. (laughs) <laughs> but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and then still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Seems like a reasonable request. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. His point is that this thing is so big and so huge, you dare not treat Christianity or relation with Christ as an addendum or something you add on or something convenient. This is the thing. The Bible says, seek first the thing the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all the other stuff will get taken care of. We go to God for this stuff over here when we should just go to God to be with God, and he'll take care of the stuff, right? So we start our faith and overcoming anxiety and fear and trying to control. We start with how incredibly valuable a relationship with God is and how unworthy we are of that. That's where we start. We raise that. So, So my question for you is, what is most valuable to you? And one of the ways is that you can tell what is valuable is what what is the thing you would leave stuff for? Let me rephrase that. What is the one thing you would leave everything for? Because that's the place that God demands in our life, is that everything else is somewhere down the list. The relationship with God is the most important. If we start with valuing that relationship, with treasuring that relationship, then we're on on good footing to begin to grow move beyond the, the, the myth of being able to control things. So the first one is to treasure him. The second one is to trust him and to trust him. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in this place, but there are certain times where I get in a place and, and I'm, I start to take a pretty dim view of the world and, uh, and I kind of begin to feel like the world is, is out to get me and it's a dangerous place and, and it's marked by chaos and ugliness and scarcity. Now, this isn't my normal mode of operation, but I get in the, you ever been in those places? I was in one this week. I, was, I, was, uh, I found myself during the week uh, um, just angry, just ticked off. And, and, and the more I went, the more ticked off I got. I got ticked off about a situation I couldn't seem to fix. And, and, then, and then I got ticked off at uh, our president and our politics. Oh, never mind. Um, then I got, oh, come on. We're all ticked off and we know it. Doesn't matter what side you're on. We're fed up, aren't we? Are we not? A little bit? No? You're going to be like that with me? Okay, fine. That's fine. 
bunch of liars. Anyway, so, and so then I get ticked off. My family, I get ticked off. Some of you. Um, and, no, I'm not, that's not true. And I went to my prayer time, and I began to pray, and I realized the reason I was so, uh, was because there was this little situation, not a big situation, not life-threatening, not even that big a deal, but there was this situation that I couldn't get under control. It had to do with somebody else, and it's not something I could fix. You know, I'm, I might have control issues. I might. And the more I tried to get my arms around that thing, get it under control, the, it was something new would pop up. And it was just every time I thought I could get it, and just, and I started, you know what I'm saying? I know none of you ever do that, right? I realized that, and I realized there was a control issue. Last week and uh, the week before, Cody and I kind of individually felt led to talk about fear. Here's what's interesting. When we begin to experience fear, one of the things many of us try to do is get it under control, to take control of the situation because it alleviates the fear. Even if it's not true, even if we can't really fix the thing, it at least feels like we're doing something, trying to get it under control, and it kind of pushes the fear back. Now, I'm, I'm telling you about a silly little incident in my life that lasted a few days and whatever. But what about those of you who have gotten a bad diagnosis? And I know there's some people in the congregation like that who've gotten a bad diagnosis and the fear is starting to creep in. Well, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to start taking care of that. And, and if nothing else, it makes you feel like you have some degree of control. But at the end of the day, it's almost worse for the people I know who is someone they love who's gotten a bad diagnosis. And at the end of the day, they can't fix it. Is there anything worse than watching someone you love suffer and you can't take control of the situation? You can't fix it. You see little cliches, little like, oh, it's, you know, it'll be a better day tomorrow. Think positive thoughts. Those are just weak when life is getting real and you can't control it. So what can you do? How do you come to grips with that in a world where it feels like it's a very dangerous place to be? So what does a control freak do when they're freaking out? (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's an important question. Maybe the most important question. So Henry Nouwen gives this illustration. And Henry Nouwen is at a circus. Very wise man. Um, And he was watching the trapeze artists. And halfway through the incredible show, he realized that the star of the show was not the flyer. It was the catcher. Because the flyer, without a catcher, the flyer can only perform once. (laughs) It's not the guy who's flying around, everybody's looking at it. It's the one that nobody really pays much attention to. It's the one who's catching. It is the catcher. It is the one who is so trusted that when the flyer lets go, they let go in full confidence that they're going to be caught. Here is what I have realized, that in life I cannot control very much, almost nothing really. And in those moments when it feels so out of control and so dark and fear is trying to creep in, the only one I can turn to is the one who can catch me, the only one who actually does have control. And in those moments, I can trust him. I can trust the one who can catch me. No more trying to grasp and struggle and for control and get this thing in a, and just end up frustrated or angry or hurt or whatever it is. I can turn to the one, the catcher, the one who I can trust. Here's what it says in 1 John 4.10. Here's how I know I can trust him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He not only loved me when I wasn't loving, lovable, or lovely. (laughs) He loved me, and he came and died for me. I could trust someone like that. Why do I find it so hard to trust? Because we live in a fallen world. There's this thing called sin. There's this separation between us and God and us and each other. And because of that separation, most of us aren't very trustworthy, frankly. And we have a hard time trusting each other because we've all been burned. And, and yet, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Every one of us has been not trustworthy at some point. And yet the second part is that there's a solution. The second part of that passage says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is one we can trust because he came and he died for us and he gave himself for us. We can trust him. It is the person of Jesus Christ. In Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. You see, in my natural kind of inclinations, I I feel the danger of being taken advantage of or somehow being hurt or wounded, and and I move toward fear and what might happen. And then as a result, I try to compensate with taking control. But the problem is it's a kind of unending circle. And as soon as I feel like I've got control, some new danger pops its head, and I'm in fear again, and I have to take control, and it's this unending kind of thing. But when I do what seems completely opposite, and I suppose it is of taking control, when I surrender to the one who can catch me, to the one who died for me, the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing, when I surrender, surrender leads not to fear but to faith. And as I surrender and I grow in faith, I begin to feel the safety of my Father's arms. And that cycle is an upward cycle. Surrender, faith, safety. Surrender, faith, safety. Surrender, faith, safety. It is not a downward cycle. Today, if you have been really trying to keep things under control and the anxiety is just out on the edge there and you're struggling, maybe the word you need to hear today is surrender. We need to trust him. We need to treasure him. And we need to travel with him every day. We need to walk with him. He didn't offer to just come and give us the ticket out of hell and into heaven. He said, come and follow me. We will travel together. As we think about this traveling together, it's not as friends, although he calls us friends, but it's not as kind of co-equals. It's, it's something much more powerful than that. In that passage I read a moment ago, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. In, in um, John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. It's an interesting thing about sheep. When the sheep are talked about a lot in Scripture from David and the 23rd Psalm and New Testament. And, and it's not just, I, I think the Bible doesn't just talk about sheep because there are a lot of shepherds in the region. I think, and I read a quote this week that I think explains it. It is, the importance of the shepherd is in reverse proportion, a direct reverse to the intelligence of the animal. If you think about it, your dog doesn't really need you that much. Unless they're a little weenie lap dog, they probably need you. But real dogs. Well, it kept a little bit, didn't they? Real dogs can find food, get along on their own. They do pretty good. Dolphins don't need you at all. You're just in the way, right? 
because they're really smart, right? Sheep are stupid. <laughs> I had a lady in the first service come running up because that's so true, that's so true. And I'm thinking some deep theological thing down there. I've got a sheep. She is stupid. I'm like, <laughs> glad you got something out of the message. <laughs> sheep are dumb. The truth about sheep is they will eat in a pasture until they've not only eaten the grass, they've pulled up the roots so it can't grow back, and then they will starve because they're too stupid to look to the next green pasture and go there themselves. That's why a shepherd needs to move them. It's absolutely true. They're so stupid, they will drink out of running water and get bogged down by their own wool and drowned. And they have no defenses. What does a sheep do when attacked by a wolf? Bats. What's my point? I think the reason we're called sheep is the only way to walk in relationship with Christ is humbly. Daily recognizing that we need him to walk with us, to lead us, to guide us. Let me tell you the resolution of my week. It was prayer time, and here's what happened. My prayer time, I wrote it down. The remedy was to spend more time with Jesus than I did worrying about the situation. Taking more of him in and less of the world around me in having more communion with him and less communication. And by that I mean more spending time and less asking for him to take care of this stuff that these people must have. Remembering his character and trusting his wisdom. In life, we can replace the striving, the struggling, and the fighting for power with gratitude, contentment, and satisfaction if we will walk with him humbly. Here's how the shepherd, David, kind of ends the 23rd Psalm. In verse 4, in the middle, he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then in the end, I shall dwell. I shall be with. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, if you find yourself struggling and striving and trying to get things under control and trying to take control of the situation and it's not going well, I suggest you surrender. I suggest you give it up to him and trust him and let him walk with you and guide you and enjoy the process of just being with him and he will take care of the outcomes. In a moment, we're going to sing a song about that and I want you during that song to just maybe take a moment to let go of any fears, any worries, any control issues you're struggling with right now and remember you are a child of God and you are free. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that as imperfect as I am, as we are, we are your children. And that if we have come to believe in you and we have entrusted our life to you, we have been forgiven and reconciled to you, we can trust you that this is indeed not a dangerous world. This, as we are in the center of your will, this is a very safe place to be. Lord God, no matter what the diagnosis, no matter what the challenge in the center of your will, in relationship with you, walking with you, trusting you, treasuring you is perfectly safe. And so today, anybody struggling with fear or worry or doubt or anxiety or, yes, trying to control things that they can't possibly control, I pray that you would set them free in these next few moments. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.